At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Well, we're going to continue to uh, worship through the Word um, in Lamentations chapter 5. So for six weeks, we have worked our way through uh, the book of Lamentations, this um, peculiarly difficult book because it represents a peculiarly difficult time in the life of God's people. Um, The monarchy had begun under King David only a few generations after David, David's grandson, King Rehoboam. The nation is divided north and south. The Assyrians in the 700s B.C. took out the northern kingdom that was generally known as Israel. In the 500 B.C. uh, century, uh, the Babylonians took out the southern kingdom that was primarily known as Judah. Um, So this takes place in the book of 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, the history of Israel. Um, And the prophet Jeremiah uh, ministered during the time of the Babylonian captivity Um, And we think that these lamentations probably represent five five laments written by the prophet Jeremiah. We don't know that for sure. He doesn't identify himself um, as the author within the book. Um, But nevertheless, it's our best guess that these were written by the prophet. They definitely resonate with a lot of what Jeremiah says in the prophecy of Jeremiah. Um, So it's it's a good guess, if any. But we are in Lamentations chapter 5, and we're going to read the whole chapter, try to cover it all today. Um, But I want to encourage you, uh, I know it's been maybe you feel like six long weeks um, within this book, Um, but if you nevertheless still feel like you need to revisit a lot of this, process some of this, continue to practice praying like this, um, then we have uh, what is called a scripture journal um, that has within it the text of Lamentations, the ESV translation, um, and also a lot of space to journal, a scripture journal. So it's a chance to sort of write out your meditations as you read the text. It's a chance to write out your prayers in response to meditating on the text. And of course, you may be thinking, man, why now? Why Why not six weeks ago? Well, you know how things are, even with Amazon sometimes. One day delivery uh, turns into like four or five weeks delivery. So um, trust it was God's providence that he wants some of you anyway to continue to uh, work your way through this book. Or maybe you've missed several weeks um, and want to dive back into some of this. But they're on the Connect desk out there. There's six or seven of them. Um, Again, no cost. Feel free to take one of these. They're not super expensive. Our gift to you, if you do want to buy one on Amazon and maybe wait another four or five weeks, they're probably less than 10 bucks. But, But nevertheless, a really great discipline. Um, to to write out scripture, to write out your thoughts and reflections and meditations and prayers as you read scripture. Um, And you can do that through this little journal here. Love for you to take one. All right, Lamentations chapter five, verses one through 22. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look, And see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. 
our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt. We've given the hand to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more. We bear our fathers' iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill. The boys stagger under the loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate. The young men, their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate. Jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have become utterly rejected of us. And you remain exceedingly angry with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Different kinds of communication can be more or less difficult. So think about when you're in need to have a confrontational conversation with someone. You need to have that honest but often awkward confrontational talk. There might be a knot in your stomach all day leading up to that conversation. And even though throughout the day you keep yourself busy doing other things, that coming conversation is always in the back of your mind causing you low-level anxiety. Because this kind of communication, confrontation, is not always easy. On the contrary, think about when you have good news to share, when you're announcing a pregnancy, when you're sharing about a new job, when you're relaying that the scan was cancer-free, it's easy to communicate that stuff. You can barely keep the words in. You're not anxious about sharing. You are eager to share. Like just this past week, I got to share the good news with our staff, and I'm sharing with you now, that we have a new kids ministry director. And as I told them this, I was literally like dancing. I couldn't stop smiling. So easy to share that good news that the three-month-long mountain of No Kidsman director has been scaled. And I shout from the top of that mountain, the good news. But different kinds of communication can be more or less difficult. 
Some conversations and some of the people we converse with, I'd rather just avoid. Some things, I'd rather sweep them under the rug, kind of forget them instead of talking them out. And some conversations, some of the people we converse with, it's just easier. It's natural, it's positive, even fun. Different kinds of communication can be more or less difficult. This is true in our lives with people and it is true in our lives with God. There can be some seasons when relating with God is easy because maybe life is easy at the time. There can be some seasons when it's easy to celebrate in worship. It's natural to rejoice with thanksgiving. It's exciting to communicate with God and you can barely keep the praise in if you try and you can't help but smile and dance as you lift your voice to him, as you pray to him, as you relate with him. But at other times, communicating and relating with God may be a little more awkward, even difficult. Perhaps you feel the need to complain about something You've got a frustration you want to share, but can I really pray to God like that? Or perhaps there's sin you need to confess, or there's brokenness you need to bring to the light with God, but that can make it tough to open up, to open your mouth and speak to him about those things. Or perhaps you're just so beat down with disappointment and heartache that I just don't feel like talking to God right now. I'd rather just sweep it under the rug kick the can down the road. Sometimes it can be more or less difficult to have conversations and communicate with God. And that's why we've wanted to, over the last six weeks, open up the book of Lamentations. Because in this book, the author is having some hard and painful and sometimes awkward conversations with God. In prayer, he's bringing up his painful circumstances. He's bringing up his negative emotions. He's bringing up his bitter complaints. He's bringing up his honest confessions of sin. In short, he's lamenting. He's engaged in this form of prayer, in this form of communication with God called lament. And our concern has been, as your pastors, that we may not be as well-trained in lament as we should be. When it comes to the happy stuff, when it comes to the joyful stuff, when it comes to the spiritual stuff that makes us peppy and happy, hey, we're all in. It's easy to show up here. It's easy to talk to God. It's easy to praise God. But what about when things are different and when the form of communication is different and potentially more difficult? How do we then lament? What is lament? What does it look like to relate with God, to communicate with God when life falls apart? Well, as we look at chapter five, we're going to see three things included in lament, three aspects involved with lamenting before God. First, lament includes self-reflection. Lament includes self-reflection. In fact, The majority of this chapter, the large majority, is the author reflecting on his life and reflecting on the circumstances of his life. So look at verse 1. The author starts out the chapter by requesting, 
Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. In other words, remember, O Lord, our circumstances and see our disgrace. That's what's befallen us. Disgraceful circumstances. He says, remember them, see them. And then from verse 2 all the way through verse 18, he helps the Lord remember what has befallen them. He helps the Lord see their disgrace. For these 17 verses, the author is looking at the situation in Jerusalem, reflecting on all they're going through, and bringing it up before God. And we won't look at all these verses, but he mentions here spiritual devastation, He mentions economic hardship. He mentions physical abuse, emotional collapse. So look at verse 2 and how he starts this whole section. He writes, Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Our homes have been turned over to foreigners. So the promised land, the land of Canaan, is often referred to as Israel's inheritance. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, when God covenants with his people, or if you look at the book of Joshua, when God's people enter the land coming from Egypt, the land is said to be flowing with milk and honey. The land is referred to as the promised land, and the land is referred to as Israel's inheritance from God. As God's children, as God's people, they receive God's inheritance, which was this strip of land off the eastern Mediterranean Sea. It's still there today. You can Go there, or you can Google it, whichever you can afford. (laughs) This was Israel's inheritance, this land. And even today in our culture, it's true that land is often inherited from children by their parents. Just a few years ago, upon the death of my grandfather, my dad inherited 75 acres of farmland in western Kentucky, Callaway County. Now, my dad is not dependent on that land. He's got another job doing something else, and he's self-sufficient apart from that land. But this would not have been the case in ancient times. Your inheritance was your livelihood. Your inheritance was how you continued into the future after your father died and could no longer provide for you. But here the author says, our inheritance... Our livelihood, the land promised of God to belong to God's people, has now been turned over to strangers. Our homes have been turned over to foreigners. Our hopes to prosper into the future, our hopes for our children and grandchildren to prosper into the future is gone. And so he says in verse 3, we have become orphans. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. In other words, we have become as those who will receive no inheritance. Orphaned children don't have a daddy to leave them an inheritance. Widowed brides don't have a husband to provide for them. So he's reflecting on their situation and he's bringing their painful circumstances and their sad condition before God in prayer. And he just goes on and on and on like this, citing many other things, some of them too difficult to even speak of, especially the physical abuse. But it's also important to note that this self-reflection doesn't just include him listing off 
their bad circumstances. He also mentions their culpability for why they're going through this difficult stuff. In other words, he doesn't just complain about the bad stuff they're going through. He confesses the bad stuff they've done that has brought all of this on themselves. So look at verse 7. He says, Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. And then look at verse 16. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. So he confesses the sins of past generations in verse 7, and he confesses the sin of the current generation in verse 16. Now, he doesn't extrapolate on this and go on and on to, into detail as far as what those sins were exactly, but the point is that he takes ownership. He doesn't just point the finger at all the bad circumstances, but he also points the finger back at himself. He doesn't just reflect on all that's going on around him. He reflects on all that's going on in him, in his own heart, in his own life, which includes that he and all of the people, including past generations, had sinned and brought much of this upon themselves. So you see, in all these different ways, he's self-reflecting. He's lamenting. He's praying through self-reflection, bringing his disgrace before God. So you remember at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, one of the most famous sections in Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, that sermon that begins Jesus' ministry. Well, at the beginning of this famous sermon is a famous section of this famous sermon known as the Beatitudes. There are nine different Beatitudes. They're these short, punchy sayings about what the truly blessed life, the truly happy life is like. And as was often the case when Jesus taught, these Beatitudes are counterintuitive to the way we normally think. Jesus challenged conventional thinking, and the Beatitudes are no different. Well, anyway, one of the Beatitudes, the second of the nine Beatitudes, goes like this. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is strange, right? Blessed are those who mourn? Mourning, crying, lamenting is not what we usually associate with the blessed life, the good life. We generally think blessed are the happy. Blessed are the cheerful. Blessed are the positive. Jesus says, no, no, no. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those, I think we can say, who lament. Brothers and sisters, the way to experience true comfort from God, the way to experience true relationship with God is to lament before God. To bring all of our agonizing experiences, to bring all of our awful circumstances before him, to bring them before him, to mourn over them in his presence, even the things, especially the things that, you know, I'd rather not talk about them. 
I'd rather just forget about them. I'd rather just keep them in the dark corners of my heart. Those are the things that we should especially bring before God. Reflect on life around you. Reflect on your own life. What are the things that are uncomfortable to talk about? What are the topics of conversation with God that you just rather avoid? Those are the things God is especially inviting us to open up to him about. What is lament? What does it sound like to relate with God when life stinks? First, lament includes self-reflection. And secondly, lament includes resilient faith. Lament includes resilient faith. So for 17 brutal verses, the author lays out all these terrible realities about what they're experiencing, what they're feeling. He's confessing, he's crying, he's desperate, he's broken. And then he gets to verse 19. And he says, but... Despite all that awful stuff, you, O oh Lord, reign forever. And your throne continues to all generations. And so he says, my circumstances have changed from good to bad. My life has changed from prosperous to disastrous. My heart has changed from full to empty. My wallet has changed from full to empty. My honor has gone from high to low. But despite all of that change for the worse, there is one thing that has not changed, and that is the reign of God over it all. O oh Lord, you reign forever, he says. And that's why I'm calling this resilient faith. Because there is so much around him that may make him say, you know what? God has clearly lost control. Look at everything that's going on. God is gone. There's no way he's still on the throne. The world is falling apart. My life is falling apart. God's people are falling apart. So God's plan, God's promises are falling apart. But he doesn't go there. He says, no, God's throne is fixed. It is not falling apart. The foundations of life have been pulled out from underneath my feet, the author says. But he says, the foundation of God's throne remains. He is king. He is Lord. He is sovereign. Still. Because it can be easy to have faith when life is easy. It can be easy to worship when life is easy. But when life falls apart, when faith is stretched, then your faith has got to get resilient. It's got to have roots. And this is one of the reasons the good news of Jesus is such good news. Because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near in Christ. In his life, we see him overcoming the curse of sin. 
He heals, he forgives, he restores, he cleanses, he takes back what was lost, he resists the efforts of the evil one, he weathers through every trial, and then in his final climactic finish, he gets up out of the grave. He defeats death, and then he sits down on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God the Father. So even this Old Testament saint can say, you, O Lord, reign forever. But we, church, can say with even more confidence, with even more certainty, with even more specificity, you, O Lord Jesus, reign forever. In you, the curse of death has lost its sting. You reign over my tragedy. You reign over my agony. You reign over my loss and disappointment. Seasons change. Fortunes change. Lives change. But your throne continues. We lose wealth. We lose children. We lose money. We lose churches. We lose relationships. We lose jobs. We lose friends. All sorts of change. The only constant is change, we say. Ah, there is one other constant, and that is God's unchanging kingdom. God's unchanging rule over every change we experience in this life. And lament includes resiliently clinging to that truth. Trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. Trusting in what he did to guarantee no one overthrows God's kingdom. Not even when the Son of God is nailed to a cross is God's kingdom shaken. Your throne endures forever. In all generations. In every season. And lament includes resiliently clinging to that in faith. Honest self-reflection, resilient faith. And finally, bold requests. Lament includes bold requests. So earlier we kind of skipped over verse 1. But let's read it again. He starts off this chapter. Remember, O Lord, remember what has befallen us and look and see our disgrace. Remember and look. And then in verse 20, he kind of comes back to this. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? So you see how these two requests kind of play off one another. Remember us. Why do you forget us? Look at us. Why do you forsake us? So asking these questions like this is kind of pressing in on God. That's why we say lament includes bold requests, because he's not only asking the Lord for certain things, he's also asking the Lord, why haven't you given me these certain things? Like my children, ask me for stuff, all the time, right? Like that's a child's job to ask their parents for stuff. It's how they survive. So I get it, but it's a lot of requests. 
And it's one thing for my child to ask me for something. Dad, give me this thing. Dad, do this thing. It's one thing for them to ask me for something. But they're kind of ratcheting it up when they say, why haven't you done this something for me yet? Why haven't you given me this something yet? Right? Like they're kind of calling me to account at that point. And I'm thinking, all right, buddy. (laughs) But such are children in asking for things. They are shameless. They are bold. And such is it with the author before God. He's bold in prayer. Why have you forgotten us? Why have you forsaken us for so long? And remember what we said in verse 19. You reign, God. Your throne endures, God. But that wasn't just a reflection or expression of resilient faith when he said that. That was also him prompting God, reminding God, you have the power to defeat our enemies. You have the power to restore us. You reign forever. So again, back to the example of my children. It's as if they said, Dad, you have the money. You have what it takes to buy me what I want. You have the food to satisfy my hunger. So you see how they're kind of pressing in and it's getting bold. It's not shy. That's what the author is modeling for us as he comes before God in prayer. Sure, he's humble. Sure, he's faithful. But he's also requesting from God what he needs. We need God to look at us. We need you, God, to remember us. Verse 21, he says, we need you to restore us. We need you to renew us. He's boldly bringing these requests before God. And then in verse 22, again, he ratchets it up. Unless you have utterly rejected us, unless you remain exceedingly angry with us, so I think what he's doing here is, again, kind of boldly pressing in on God. He's saying, God... You're not the kind of God who utterly rejects your people. You're not the kind of God who remains exceedingly angry. So again, to draw the comparison with my children, if they want something from me, Dad, give us the kind of dad who doesn't give his children what they need. Unless you're just the kind of dad who doesn't care. So you see how they're kind of agitating. They're kind of prompting. They're not shy in their request. And again, so it is for the author. Restore us. Renew us. You're not the kind of God to remain angry. You're not the kind of God to forsake us. You see how he's bold. And so church, I call on us. Let's get bold before God as we lament in prayer before him. Yes, we lay out all the ruinous things in our lives. Yes, we reflect on those things. We mourn those things. And we boldly ask God to redeem those things. We remind him that he is king. He is sovereign. He can do this. We recall for him that he is not fundamentally angry. No, he is fundamentally love and compassion and grace 
Let's be bold. Let's press in. Let's be bold in our requests. I'm not saying to be disrespectful. No, let's be reverential. Let's be humble. But let's not be bashful. Let's not be shy. Let's pray like our God is a God who resurrects the dead. Let's pray like our God is a God who forgives the grossest sin. Let's pray like our God is a God who is Father, who cares, who is near, who listens, who loves. That's what it looks like to lament. That's what it looks like to relate with God when life is tough, to communicate with God when the topics of conversation are uncomfortable. We lament through self-reflection, expressing resilient faith and making bold requests. God is able to restore us. God has restored us, and God will restore us. We know this to be true because of the gospel realities concerning Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He is Israel's hope for renewal and restoration. He is the world's hope for renewal and restoration. It was not an earthly army. It was not a savvy political leader. It was not great resources that was going to deliver God's people. It was God himself, and God showed up in Christ, freeing us from sin, delivering us from Satan, and answering every cry for mercy through lament. So I urge you, Receive God as your Father through Christ. Receive God as your Father through Christ and bring all of your pain, all of your complaints, all of your requests to your Heavenly Father. And I urge you, be restored, be renewed through Christ. He was forsaken on the cross so that we could be forgiven forever. He was broken on the cross so that we could be healed in our hearts. And as we together trust in Jesus, as we together trust in Jesus, may he make us Woodside Lapeer, a lamenting a community where it is safe to be broken. A family where it is okay to be needed, to be empty. May he make us a church that carries one another's burdens in prayer and comes before God with total honesty, total transparency, Total vulnerability. May he help us to pray together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
our Father in heaven, we've come before you these last weeks and we'll continue to come each week in the same way that the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, teach us to pray. Teach us to communicate with you the thoughts of our hearts, the burdens in our minds. Teach us to pray, Lord. And as we've done so through the book of Lamentations, we especially want you to teach us to pray as we go through trials, as we experience failure, as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with suffering, as we struggle with doubt, confusion. Teach us to pray. Father, thank you so much for hope. And we grieve. Oh, do we grieve. Even as your people, we grieve. We hurt. We cry. And yet, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve able to look on the horizon of history and know that you are victorious and you reign forever. So God, help us to have hope. Help us to encourage one another to hope in this community. As I said, God, make it a safe place. Make this people a safe place to confess our darkest sins because the blood of Jesus covers them. Make this community an inviting place for people to be open and transparent about everything going on. Correct us when we try to fix each other. Help us to just be with one another in prayer and lament and sadness and passion and pain. Humble us, God. May this place be a place of restoration, acceptance, grace, endurance through every trial, through every season. God, we need you to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we pray, we pray, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.